0: convinced myself that I didn't have time to join a life group Um, but I
1: still felt God's gentle nudge every now and then uh, to find a place to connect and so I finally did and I now co-lead a a virtual
0: women's uh, group and it's been a wonderful experience so if you're feeling the nudge like I did or you just want to get connected please visit our website and we'll help you take the next step here we are wrapping up our series on learning to fight. Now, it's been kind of odd for some of you thinking we have a series called Learning to Fight. Uh, The fuller context is that we're learning to fight the good fight of the faith Uh, out of this identity we have uh, from God himself, that we are beloved children of God. He's done everything necessary to bring us into relationship with him to restore us as he restores all creation. And so we've been talking about how do you fight this good fight of the faith? How do you wage love, uh, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? These are the, these are the, the, the weapons, really. Uh, these are the technologies that we use in this process, this commitment to fighting the faith. So we've talked about uh, the peace that God gives us to fight the battle within us. Uh, we've talked about the fact that God gives us courage to face uh, every... Challenge before us. Uh, we talked last week about the persistence and perseverance that is ours in Christ as we continue to focus on Him and to move toward Him as we move through life. And so today we're wrapping up by talking about God's provision for us. God provides for us. So that's the big idea of the morning. God is providing for you wherever you are, uh, in whatever situation you are facing challenges or opportunities. Caring for people, being cared for by people. So let's jump in. First big idea of the morning is this right now, right where you are, you have everything you need. Right now, right where you are, you have everything you need. I'm, I'm going to pause for just a moment so that you can internally or externally say, no way. I invite your pushback. I I encourage your skepticism on that. I can't imagine uh, me hearing that first thing on a Sunday morning and thinking, that makes any sense. But here's why. Right now, right where you are, you have a choice. You have a choice. This is probably the most powerful uh, weapon we have to choose. Choose. People can control your bodies by imprisoning you. They can control your your capacity to move freely through the world. They can control so many things about you. Nobody can control your choice. You have the capacity, you have the power, the God-given right and opportunity and responsibility to choose. So right now, right where you are, you have a choice. Uh, will Will you agree with that as we move forward? We'll test that out as we look at God's word together. So everything you need, everything that matters to you in life hangs on that. Your capacity, your responsibility, your opportunity to make choices. A choice every day between life on your terms or life on God's terms. That's not a binary. Uh, It's a series of decisions we make throughout the day, isn't it? To trust God, to look to God, to lean on God to step out in faith and face difficult challenges, to take risks. We're going to talk about all that this morning. Uh, but choosing, wow, if everything else is taken away, do you still really have a choice? This was uh, Victor Frankl's aha moment as a prisoner during the Holocaust. Victor Frankl uh, was a brilliant scientist. He was a brilliant psychiatrist. A professor, clinician, uh, he lived in Vienna. He was uh, absolutely gifted and committed to helping people. In fact, at one point, as a very young, while he was still in medical school, uh, he created a program to uh, end uh, the the sad uh, pandemic epidemic of suicide that was uh, overtaking uh, Vienna and Austria. So many young people were committing suicide because of the pressures uh, to perform especially to perform well in school. He reduced that to zero. How? He helped students understand that they had meaning in life. And so Viktor Frankl's big aha moment was now as a prisoner, everything taken away from him. His life threatened daily, watching people around him suffering and and dying. He started to notice, uh, and as he dealt with his own grief, his mom and dad died at Auschwitz. Uh, His wife died. Only his sister escaped. Uh, And so here he was watching his family die, seeing people he loved and cared about dying, ministering to people um, in the midst of that horrible situation. And he started to notice that the people who had chosen to live had a better likelihood of survival. So at the end of that experience, he said this, everything can be taken away from a man but one thing to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. Everything can be taken away from a person but one thing, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. How does that resonate with you? Here's somebody who believed that theoretically before he went into uh, that hellacious, horrific uh, concentration camp experience. But he came out of it more convinced than ever that this was true. And so we believe, we believe as followers of Jesus, as inheritors of of all the rich uh, proclamation and teaching and demonstration uh, throughout God's history with people in, in what we call the Old Testament and the New Testament. We see, and therefore we believe, that God has given us his inexhaustible provision for an indestructible life. Choice is part of God's provisioning for us, guiding us, informing us, shaping us, supporting us, encouraging us to choose well. God has given us his inexhaustible provision. God lacks for nothing. He's given us his inexhaustible provision so that we could experience right now and every day that we have an inexhaustible and uh, eternal life. Essentially, an indestructible life. That's what it means to live eternally. Though we die, yet shall we live. And as we live, we have capacity and resources provisioning from God to choose how we will face everything in life. The good, the bad, and everything in between. For example, Abraham chose to trust God and God credited it to him as righteousness. You can see this in Genesis chapter 12. Abram later to be uh, called Abraham, simply chose to trust God. And it changed his life. It changed the world. It changed human history. Why? Because God had promised him that he would bless all nations through Abraham if he trusted him. And then at a key point, when when Abraham uh, received the the greatest answer to prayer that he could imagine, his son Isaac, uh, God tested him. This is one of the most problematic, controversial passages in the Bible. We won't go into it today, but simply uh, let me refer to it. At at some point, uh, you see this in chapter 22 in Genesis. God calls Abram, later Abraham, to sacrifice his son Isaac. That wasn't uncommon for, for, for people, for tribes, to sacrifice children. But it was absolutely not what God was about. And yet he, he, he called Abram to trust him in this situation. And Abraham, Abraham trusted him, and God provided for him. He provided a ram to be the sacrifice on what was called Mount Moriah, where we believe the Temple of Jerusalem uh, was built. Abraham chose to obey God, and the Lord provided for him. In fact, Abraham called the place Jehovah Yireh. Uh, this is the place of the God who provides. So we believe, likewise, in Jehovah the God who provides for us. Uh, Later, Joshua said to Israel, as the people came back from captivity, uh, having been on the Exodus march for 40 years, coming out of Egypt, standing now at the outside of this land of provision that God was providing for them. uh, Joshua said this to the people, choose this day whom you will serve. He said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Powerful, powerful moment of choice. We see in the New Testament, Jesus coming to say, I have come to give you life in all its fullness. I've come to provide for you the life that you yearn for, the meaning and the purpose that comes in that life that only God can provide. An inexhaustible provision for an indestructible life. And So therefore, right now, right where you are, you have everything you need. I understand it might not be where you want to be, or that you have what you want to have. But right now, right where you are, you have a choice. You can choose the attitude with which you will face and embrace and deal with your present situation. You can make choices about how you'll move through it to maybe something bigger and better. You might choose to make some very difficult decisions to seemingly go backwards in order to go forwards. You might feel like you're going down in order to go up. But right now, right where you are, you have everything you need because you have the capacity to choose. You might be hoping for more in your life. God bless you. And praying for more in your life. God bless you. Preparing and working hard for more in your life. God bless you. Pursue that in Christ. So that's the first big idea. Right now, right where you are, you have everything you need. Second big idea of the morning is this. Fighting the good fight is choosing to trust God's provision in everything. Fighting the good fight of the faith is choosing to trust God's provision in everything, which means that God might not provide what you want when you want it, but you will trust him anyway. Abraham trusted God for a very long time without seeing his prayer answered in the son that finally God gave him in Isaac. God provisions us with what we need to fight the good fight of the faith. God knows better than we what we need and when we need it. He also honors what we want. He wants to give us the desires of our heart as our hearts align with his. So he might change your circumstances. For sure, though, I can say that he will change you in the midst of them. Perhaps God will change your circumstances. And I hope he does if you're dealing with very difficult circumstances. You need to escape from something. You need to um, uh, embrace something uh, that's just out of reach. I really do hope and pray that God will change your circumstances according to His will for you and your heart for Him. But I can tell you for sure that in the midst of your circumstances, God will be changing you. And that might be the most important thing to understand about God's provision. As we choose for Him, He changes us. Faith is not being protected from making choices. Oh, I'll let God deal with it. Oh, that's, that's up to God. We can glorify that with all kinds of religious verbiage, but at the end of the day, it's emptiness to say that, oh, no, no, God, God takes care of all that. What God takes care of, God takes care of our capacity to learn to trust him through an informed faith, a faith that fills us with knowledge and hope, confidence in the living God, and increasingly confidence in our capacity to make wise choices under his guidance guided by his word, guided by his people, wise counselors and mentors in life. So we can never put off that responsibility to choose on anyone. Well, you choose. Now, if you're in a casual situation and you can't decide where to go to dinner or or something else that's fairly trivial, important but not that important, you might say to somebody, oh, you choose. It's an act of graciousness, deferring to them, whatever you feel like. But when it comes to the important things of life, it's us and God accountable to the body of Christ, to say, I choose this day whom I shall serve. So here's how that works. Uh, Let's look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. Uh, Josh uh, Mondragon and Connie Evans are going to read some scripture for us.
1: Ephesians 6. 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take a stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of the evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly
0: as I should. Thank you, Josh and Connie. Fantastic. So be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Recognize his provision for you. That's what his mighty power is about. He can provide what you need when you need it. We might have a disagreement with God about what we need and when we need it, but God knows what we need and when we need it. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. How do you get strong in the Lord? Well, first of all, he brings strength with him as he comes into our life. He gives us strength through his Holy Spirit. He also gives us strength through his word not the word sitting on a table or on a bookshelf somewhere, but his word coming into our hearts uh, and into our minds working its way out into our hands, how we actually live, how we make choices. That's God's power at work for us to appropriate the knowledge of God and to be transformed by it, to be able to then live wisely and choose wisely because of him. Uh, His people give us strength. When you feel like giving up, when you feel like giving in, when you feel like walking away, When you've concluded that you just can't get it right or that God can't get it right. The people of God will remind you, you know, you're a beloved child of God. Maybe you need to eat. Maybe you need to sleep. Uh, Maybe you need to uh, confess your absolute need for his absolute grace. Because really, though you've been using God's name, you've been really um, doing everything in yours. That's a hard place to come to. But sometimes uh, our brothers and sisters will say, you know what, I think you're holding on to something or you're pushing hard for something. It doesn't seem like you've really given that to God. It doesn't seem like you really trusted God. Are you close enough to anybody? Are you scary close enough to people that they could be that honest with you because they love you that deeply? See, this is where we get the power of God. We don't get the power of God by insulating and hiding from all the challenges of life. We find the power of God is sufficient and more so as we move into life, as we live it fully. That's why the followers of Jesus never retreat from the world permanently. We might retreat to have a time of worship, uh, to recover, to recalibrate where we are in him. But it's always so that we can go back out into the world, fully engaging the world uh, in in the hope, the justice, and the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness of God. So be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And so put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Uh, The armor uh, is a little bit silly to us until you need armor. Anybody in combat is happy to have the armor. But if you think like a civilian, you think, I really don't need armor. But you know what? We don't just live as civilians. We live as people who are being prepared every day to fight and face all kinds of big challenges. So you have all kinds of armor, whether you realize it or not. And the problem is, we wear armor thinking we're facing our enemy, which is other people. Other people are not our enemy, though they might appear to be, though they might perceive themselves to be, or that we perceive them to be. But the scripture tells us that the devil is our enemy, not people. And so the armor that often we appropriate uh, does just the opposite of what the armor of God does. Ours is projection. It's it's, It's those people. It's denial. I have no responsibility. It's avoidance. I don't want to deal with this. It's withdrawing. It's stonewalling people. It's perhaps acting passively and aggressively. Oh, no, no, I'm fine with that. But then going after people in a way that demonstrates you're not fine with it. We have all kinds of armor. Gossip is armor. Compromising your integrity is armor. Well, if I just go along, I'll get along. See the power of this? You have armor. I'm telling you, though, your armor is useless. It's a heavy burden. It's not worth even putting on. Get rid of your armor. Your armor is holding you back. Your armor has now become part of the problem. Embrace the armor of God, because you only have one enemy, and it's God's enemy. And only God knows how to prepare you and provide for you to face that enemy. Not that you're freaking out every day, preoccupied by the enemy. Rather, you're so prepared that you don't have to think about the enemy. You don't think about the devil. You focus on Christ. You give up that temptation to say, These people are my enemies. No. You say, You know, these people are victims of the enemy, just like I could be if I don't listen to God. So, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Uh, Go to the Read, Think, Pray that we sent out this week, and uh, I unpacked this a little bit there. So therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, what is the day of evil? It's every day. It's those times when we have very, very big issues that feel absolutely overwhelming. But we need to be prepared every day because we don't know when the day of evil comes. We don't know when we'll be most vulnerable and not be aware of it and be attacked by the enemy. So every day we need to be uh, outfitted with this armor to the point that, It's not cumbersome. We're not even aware of it. It becomes so integrated in who we are that we're always ready for any situation because God is providing for us and preparing us, and we've already made the choices to be living in his name and fighting the good fight to the point that it becomes so natural we're not even aware that we're doing it. This is the beauty of watching two people who have been working on learning how to dance They move so beautifully together. This is, the, this is the, the payoff for somebody who's really worked hard to learn how to surf. That fluid, you know, paddling out, getting up. They don't pearl. Uh, they, 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 they don't look awkward. They just get up, and they surf, and they, they get off the board and do it again. You watch a person ski. You listen to a person sing. All those things that, over, t- over time, the discipline, the persistence and perseverance, the courage to step out and do things that we're not comfortable doing. To overcome that anxiety that God replaces with peace. See, that's all part of this integration of God's armor into us. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, not be pushed aside, knocked over, crushed. And after you've done everything, to stand. To stand to stand on knowing who you are and where you are and what your meaning and purpose in life is about. That's what it means to stand. There's a security and a confidence that comes with that. There's also a great deal of humility that comes with that. A graciousness comes with that to allow people to be themselves, not try to force them into your mold for what you want them to be. A confidence in yourself and, and confidence in other people's capacity to be themselves. And so stand firm with a belt of truth. We need truth. We live in a world of lies. Not necessarily in- intentional lies, but assumptions and conclusions that we draw about life that in effect deny the truth. And what denies the truth is a lie. There's no God. There might be a God, but he doesn't care. Believing in God is wishful thinking. It's for weak people. It's a crutch. Well, it is in a sense for weak people, people who aren't strong in the Lord. It is a crush because you can't walk strong and take your stand but for the Lord. The breastplate of righteousness, protecting your heart, to be rightly related to people. It's not literally the organ of our heart, but when we talk about our heart, as you know, we're talking about being a right. We're talking about being in right standing with God and with people. We're talking about goodness, generosity, all those things that are endearing to people and build relationships. Having one's feet fitted with the gospel of peace, as you move toward people, are you moving to hurt them or to bless them? When you walk out the door every day, literally or figuratively, when you leave your home every day, when you go wherever you go, are you going in peace? Or are you carrying your anxiety? that creates anxiety in other people. Are Are you carrying an aggression that evokes aggression in other people. To have one's feet shot in peace means we're taking our stand on peace, on justice, on righteousness, not on terror, not on control, not on violence. The shield of faith, which, with which we extinguish those fiery arrows. We believe that God is with us and he will protect us. Even if we die, he's protecting us in the sense that he's taking us from this life to the next. The helmet of salvation, to know that we are saved by God because we're loved by God, makes our mind right. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, powerful. The Word of God cuts right to the heart of us. And the Word of God, the truth of God's Word, helps us cut through all those things that uh, would deny Him or try to dilute our understanding of Him or distract us from obeying Him. And so we pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Now, some people have said this is a kind of praying that is absolutely esoteric. This is a kind of prayer that, that um, puts us into trances. Uh, this is a kind of prayer that is, is some secret kind of a prayer that people can g- gain. No, to pray in the Spirit means we acknowledge that it's the Spirit of God that, that teaches us how to pray. It's the Spirit of God that evokes prayer in us. And if you're praying and you find you're praying in, in, in words and in, 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 in a language you don't understand, God bless you. Maybe God has given you the capacity to express those deep, deep needs, those deep, deep praises in a language that goes beyond your capacity to enunciate in your in your uh, regular language. We see examples of that, people breaking out, speaking in tongues. This is not normative, but it's not non-normal either. If you have this experience, thank God for it. If you don't have this experience, don't think that God's holding out on you. We pray in the Spirit if we use words we'll understand or if we don't use words. To pray in the Spirit is simply to acknowledge that I don't come before God because uh, I'm busy and I'm, I'm barging in. I come before God because he's invited me through his Spirit to approach him. He's in me, so I don't even really have to go anywhere. I just need to say, Lord, here's my prayer. Sometimes it's a, a prayer of, of Confession. Sometimes it's a prayer of praise and thanksgiving. Sometimes it's a prayer of what we call supplication, praying for other people, praying for the government, praying for uh, leaders, praying uh, into situations that you can't change necessarily, but you believe God can change. Prayer is so powerful, and it's the Holy Spirit that gives our prayers power, not our, our persuasiveness, not even our persistence, so those are important. It's the power of God's Spirit in the context of our prayer It is powerful. That's part of God's provision for us. So on all kinds of uh, 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 occasions, all kinds of prayers, all kinds of requests, just be heads up about it. Be alert and keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Paul then says personally, pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Uh, That's my prayer. Uh, Pray for me that that I'd have the words to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, is what Paul is saying. He was literally uh, writing this as as a prisoner, chained. But he saw himself as an ambassador of Christ. Uh, Any of us can feel chained by by your lack of knowledge, your lack of talent, your lack of courage, your lack of capacity. We're our own worst critics, aren't we? So we we ask people to pray for us so that God's Spirit would, would give us what we need to be able to articulate the reason for the hope that is within us as we do that with gentleness and respect. So pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. You know what? We live in a time when uh, subtly, or not so subtly, the gospel is being shouted down. The gospel is shouted down to the point that followers of Christ uh, very naturally, unfortunately, self-edit. I can't tell you how many go-for-it people who who name Christ as our Lord and Savior, are absolutely timid in the marketplace. And by timid, I don't mean they're not just, again, barging in and telling everybody about Jesus. I mean they're timid that at a dinner party or in a conversation. They don't say, you know, one thing that's really been meaningful to me, one thing that's really helped me, one insight that I've, I've embraced, one life-changing experience that, that has, has changed the momentum and the meaning of my life is this. There's so many ways that we can give witness, bear witness to Christ that are not offensive. They're not aggressive. They're not obnoxious. They're simply expressions of love and respect for other people. As we listen carefully and hear where they are, do you see this? Do you see that the timidity of the church is an offense against God? It says God cannot provide for me adequately. I've got to choose to minimize my dependence on him, minimize my relationship with him. It becomes a a subtle but very effective form of denying Christ. Now, nobody wants to deny Christ. Peter didn't go to deny Christ on that last night of Jesus' life. But he was so overwhelmed with fear about what others would think or what others might do that he capitulated to that fear. And pretty soon he concluded, unconsciously but very demonstrably, God cannot provide adequately for me. I have no choice but to deny him. These are maybe harsh words to you. I hope they're not harsh words. I intend them to be helpful words to you. Nothing and no one can separate you from the love of God. Nothing and no one can overwhelm you. It's our head, not counting the power of our salvation that overwhelms us. It's our faith, not repelling, repulsing those, those flames of the evil one, the flaming arrows of the evil one and does us and overwhelms us. You see what overwhelms us? When we try to provide for ourselves, we will always be overwhelmed. When we stop making choices in the context of who God is and who I am in him, we're done for. And so, by the way, what's the mystery of the gospel? It's what we're talking about. That in this world in which we live, in Christ, right now, right where you are, you have everything you need to prevail. That's the mystery of the gospel. How can that be? It doesn't look like that. In Christ, God has revealed what we're up against and what he's doing about it. That's the mystery that in ways that we don't even understand adequately, God himself is fighting the battle. The Lion of Judah, that song is a beautiful expression of what we're talking about. We're in a fight, the origin of which is described in Genesis 1 to 11. Read it later. You'll understand the origin of the fight that we're in. And it'll make you appreciate the mystery of the gospel that God himself took on that fight on our behalf. This precious yet troubled world is under siege. That's why we fight. What God created for our benefit has been in a state of constant duress. That's the remedy of the gospel. God came into the world to establish his kingdom and to restore his creation. That's us. Everything about this world was created in and through Christ for God's pleasure and ours. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work is what the Apostle John wrote in his first letter. We call it 1 John 3.8. But right up front in that letter he said, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. He's fighting the good fight of the faith. Paul wrote to the Colossians saying, for God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. We're no longer subject to the devil. We're no longer trapped in his kingdom. God has brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We are free. We are free. God has provided for our freedom. And that's why we get to choose as free people. No matter what you deprive me of, no, no, no matter what you might do to me, we say to the world, I will choose to serve the Lord. I belong to him, not to you. And because I believe in him and belong to him, I will love you in spite of your behavior toward me. That's powerful. That's radical. Nobody can vanquish a foe who talks like that. You may kill me, but I will love you. You may torment me, but I will pray for you. You may dismiss me, disown me. You might try to disgrace me and discourage me. But I know in whom I live. I know in whom I have my being. And I want that for you. Wow. The fight of the good fight is choosing to embrace our place in God's kingdom. What should we do with it? Well, enjoy it. Invest your life in it. Take hold of it. Honor it. Protect it. Humbly and confidently live it and generously and compassionately share it. Last, I want to wrap up with this final point. Right now, right where you are, what choices are you making in faith? Maybe you're making all your choices in faith. God bless you. Keep doing that. It might be hard. You might be making all the right choices and everything is going uh, wrong. Hang in there. This is what persistence and perseverance, courage and peace are all about. It's what we've been talking about. But God is providing for you and will continue to provide for you. Keep choosing him. Are you living your faith fearlessly or fearfully? What risks are you avoiding that you should be taking Living fearlessly doesn't mean living recklessly. But it does involve real risk. It's risky walking by faith. Yes, God provides for us. Yes, it's the wisest choice we can make to trust in him. It's still a risk, right? You can suffer. You can experience so many hard things and and heartbreaking things because you've chosen to live by faith. Of course, at the end of the day all those fruit of the Spirit, more than make up for what we suffer, what we we sacrifice, what we lose in that risk. But still, the risk is real. We don't discount that. Real risk exposes you to loss, real loss, danger, real danger, embarrassment, real embarrassment, real harm, and real death. One of the great early leaders of the church said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Martyr, just a word that means witness. The blood of those who witness for Christ, who die in their witness, is the seed of the church. What does that mean? It means that it, it empowers us and encourages us to go and do likewise, not to want to die, to put ourselves in danger's way just to somehow look like we're being impressively uh, faithful. But rather, in the normal course of life, to face danger I not even face death because we believe that there's no more uh, real life than the one that Christ gives us. So why would you be willing to do that? Because you don't have any other options? Mm, no. Because you have different values. Because you have different values. You now in Christ have values that come from the heart of God. He's written His law on your heart. He energizes it through his grace, his love. God will provide what you need as you need it. You will change what you want. That's the amazing thing about these choices and his provision. Over time, we start to change the things that we really want, the things that we count as important. We stop looking at the price of anything, and we start looking at the value of everything. What's the real value here? I won't be head by the price. That's so expensive, it must be important. That's not expensive. It must be unimportant. We look at everything from the value proposition of God's kingdom. So don't evaluate risks by the probability of success. Hmm, will this succeed? Then I'm willing to risk. You have to to factor in some of that. But that's not the primary determinant of risk. The primary determinant of risk in business, in life, in anything, is the value of the goal. Is this goal representative of what I value and if it's representative of what I value I'm willing to risk everything because when you lose your values you've lost everything if you have to ditch your values to find success you have failed before you've started so we don't even necessarily talk in terms of success we talk in terms of of faithfulness and all the fruit of the spirit Success is not one of the fruits of the Spirit. It's a byproduct, and most often than not, by living under God's provision and choosing for Him, you'll experience a a form of success that's better than any other form of success. But in the world's eyes, it might look like that you have failed miserably. And you could have succeeded, but, but for those silly values that you cling to. But here's the thing. When we finally realize what pleases God, That final realization is that, gee, that's what pleases me. One of our big issues is that, gee, I think if I believe in God, what pleases me, I'll have to give up. No. What pleases you ultimately is the very thing that pleases God. You're made in his image. When you understand finally what pleases God, you'll understand, ah, that's what I've always been pleased by anyway. Again, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The goodness, the greatness, the glory of God in us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. When we finally realize that, everything changes. Why? Because we change. We change the way we think. We change the way we feel. We change the way we make decisions and choices. We change the way we treat ourselves. We change the way we treat people. We change the way we approach situations that are difficult. If you believe that all people are made in the image of God, all of a sudden racism matters to you. If you believe that all people are made in the image of God, economic justice matters to you. If you believe that all creation was made by the Lord and we're to manage it properly, everything about making, uh, taking good care of the creation, the environment, matters to us. And so right now, right where we are, we have everything we need to access God, to choose God. We realize that his gospel, his good news, is everything we really need and that we really, really want. So everything else that we experience and express in life, all those other good things in life, when you travel somewhere, when you make things, create things, when when you cultivate things, all those good things that express your creativity in the world, all of a sudden they become so much more intensely meaningful, not in and of themselves, but as a reflection of God's goodness and God's creativity in you, God's provision for you and the choices you've made to cooperate with his provision for you. We're going to explore this more in our summer series. I'm so excited to start this series uh, next week as we gather for worship out out uh, on the lawn. We'll see how that goes. Uh, I'm going to be recommending uh, an amazing book for us to read together this summer. I'm going to be recommending that we watch uh, on your own time, in your own way, an amazing series that's been uh, developed in the last couple of years. Uh, We have some really fun things to make your summer a lot better than it might look right now. So we'll be exploring that this summer, talking about the good life according to God. But let me finish by uh, simply saying this benediction out of Hebrews chapter 13. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. Lord Jesus, that's my prayer and benediction for myself, for my family, for my friends, for my brothers and sisters uh, in this church. This is my prayer and your benediction for all people everywhere. So Lord, we commit ourselves to you, knowing that you do provide for us. And that we have the capacity to choose. And that's everything we need. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great rest of your day.